0: Marco specifically wrote like a pretty just called it off. Yeah, off, which so I didn't get that impression, but when I when I read his article about it and think about it and I wonder and then I think back to MG Siegler's kind of post walking back his tweet about the Apple TV stuff, I wonder if we saw Apple's
1: kind of plan B this week. That's an interesting theory. I hadn't thought about that. Uh Marco's called off and he just says uh Something felt a bit off about this week's Apple event. Part of it was the lack of surprises, which isn't Apple's fault. All of the product updates, which, while nice, were incremental and predictable. None of the pricing was a surprise. In fact, the only unexpected product announcement is the zombie iPad 2 sticking around for another year, shamelessly, at the same price as last year. And it goes on for there. And it's a good piece. I think it's fair. I don't think it's reactionary. Nick Bilton had a piece on the Bits blog for the New York Times that I think was a little bit more harsh, and I did link yeah. to that one. Uh,
0: that, see, my the, my whole thing about that is that those people weren't around in like 2000 when the big news was that the the G4 tower went dual processor. You know, it was like, whoa, crazy! I got to get that thing. So uh, th- there is kind of a faction that expects, and, and you know, Steve spoiled us like something crazy to happen every year. And I remember, you know, six years ago when I was at Forbes, we would have to write the story two or three times a year. Apple let us down. They didn't, yeah. uh, they didn't change the world today or something like that. So, uh, I, I will say go, go back and read the old press release archives from 2000 and, and 2001 and 2002, where it was like, yep, uh, new, uh, New mouse design or something. Oh, no, that actually would be more interesting. But Did you
1: notices, I'm sure you have. Uh, in fact, we maybe even talked about it before. But every once in a while, because of the vagaries of different CMSs, but that, that most modern blogs and CMSs have a the URL slug for an article is based on the title or the headline, whatever you want to call it. And then sometimes after publishing, people change the headline – but the URL stays the same because it was whatever when it first went in. I know Bloomberg often gets caught by this or, or business week and they sometimes have you know, like the, the URL sometimes gives away something that's no longer in the article. And I thought with Bilton's, it's kind of interesting. His headline or the one that stayed is longing for the wow at Apple's product showcases. But the URL slug says, and I think it's a little bit more apt, uh, the repetition of Apple keynote presentations feels boring. Interesting. So, first of all, I
0: I do notice that I, as a writer, love and hate that feature. Um, and every CMS I design is going to have the ability to change that slug without ruining the uh, right the the, the the without sending a four hundred four. But uh, I I would also say that, especially at some place like the Times. I don't know how much control Nick has over his headlines. I, right. I'm guessing that he writes the first one, perhaps, but I know I know for a fact, actually, at the times that the copy desk has a role in in headlines and maybe even final say. So um, I well, wouldn't I wouldn't say that that's Nick's headline, but I, I, I do find it interesting as you say. It's a different
1: point though, right? Longing right, exactly. for the wow, and then it even gets to it at the bottom of his piece, and it and it says, you know, is this built in writing? Um, Showmanship aside, some saw Tuesday's announcement as another example of a company that is forgetting how to innovate. Apple has, quote, gone from building things consumers never ever dreamed they would need to falling short at giving them what they want, said Moshe Cohen, an assistant professor of finance and economics at Columbia Business School. The problem, he said, is Apple needs more visionaries. Now, to me, that's a big pile of horseshit. That, that paragraph right there. And that is one sense of, you know, uh, uh, the, like you said, like for years, perennially, going back all the way to, you know, 1999, 2000, um, that Apple keynotes have often, quote, disappointed people. Is this, you know, the lack of any kind of amazing new game changing world will never be the same hardware? event after event after event. Whereas the other point to me is more subtle, the idea that the repetition of these presentations, the way that there's a formula and a pacing, and regardless of what's being announced or how it's being announced, that it's, you know, it is, for lack of a better word, formulaic. And and if you just put the content aside, what it, you know, and we can get to that later, but just that there's you know a sameness to Apple's product in, introductions.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. To the point where there's you know there, there's fan fiction, right? Like you, there's every time people uh, write on their blogs or wherever in in the Verge uh, forums, like almost a script that they expect Tim Cook to read off of. Uh, so yeah, I do. I, that's interesting. I wonder if they'll switch that up. You know, you see. Uh, they've added some some parts of it, like that that opening video that they've now shown, probably hopefully for the last time. It was a good video, but yeah, I
1: don't think you can. I, I never... think twice is stretching it,
0: right? Yeah, and, and different audiences, and maybe some people were at this week's thing and not at WWDC or whatever. But um, it, it is true that the formula has not changed. Uh, in stark contrast to every other tech company, which you know probably actually to Apple's credit, puts on just the most ridiculous,
1: insane product launches. Like, you, you know, I don't know if you've been to a Samsung one, but... <laughs> I've never been to one, but I mean, the one last year, the Galaxy S4 one, I watched online live. Yeah. I talked about it. I mean, I forget it was on the show, but it was preposterous. Oh, I, I've i been to
0: one. I went to one in Barcelona for Mobile World Congress a couple of years ago, and I was just so confused. There was just very, very strange event. So... You know, maybe to Apple's credit, like, don't break what's, don't fix what's not broken or
1: whatever that cliche is. But, well, and, and maybe another factor too is that, you know, for as much as, you know, in the last 12 months that Apple came under some criticism slash skepticism, I'm not quite sure what the right is, word is, about the, the long stretch between last year's iPad introduction, which was, you know, exactly 52 weeks ago. And the fact that they didn't introduce anything last winter or spring, and then WWDC really only, I mean, it was a major introduction to iOS 7, but it was software only, and it was coming later in the year, that they really went 11 months without a major new product. You know, just and you know, but hardware and, product, hardware product, which is so annoying because the software,
0: a matters more really for your day to day usage, and b it's probably in terms of man hours more of a challenge to make. I don't know, I just made that up, but it, I bet the hardware takes more effort than this. Sorry, the software takes more effort than the hardware. But well, but only I mean, gets credit as the hardware for some. Well, reason.
1: and you could even argue though that because it didn't ship to consumers until you know September that even the software, you know, even iOS 7 doesn't count as being released until September, even though it was shown in June.
0: And iOS 6 was released in September last right. year.
1: But so. even even given that search, my point is, even given that long stretch, which I don't think was any kind of sign of weakness, I think it was just the way things worked out with the product roadmaps for you know across the board, that there just happened to be a stretch where there wasn't anything new. And obviously, if they were concerned about that stretch, what they could have done— easily, was keep the uh, keep the iPad 4 until September or, I mean, February or whatever, and have a rather disappointing introduction of that, you know, rather than release it just six months after the iPad 3. And I think, you know, their thought is, we're going to move as fast as we can, and if that means that moving as fast as we can, we end up with gaps in our product introduction schedule because we've introduced everything as soon as we feel like we really can, so be it better than holding stuff back just to fill out a regular schedule.
0: Yeah, uh, I think there's but, you know, there's trade-offs either way, but I think I, I would not disagree. And, and who again, what we don't know is what they had in mind to right. perhaps announce earlier this year or even right now, but didn't. Right. Uh, and that could be, any range of things from this TV that people have been expecting for a long time. And now seems to either just not exist or be very far in the future to, you know, the wearable stuff. Maybe they, maybe they were working on it and, and said, no, this is not ready. We need more, we need more people. We need more ideas here. We need, maybe there's something on the component side that they need better, uh, and, or more of, or something like that. So what, what we don't know is what, you know, (laughs) the unknown unknowns, I guess. But, uh, I I I, it, I just find it hard, and you know we'll see. Like if if it's two years from now and we're doing this again, and they're still just showing off, kind of minor upgrades to existing product lines, then yeah, maybe there is something to question. But for now, I would say that it's still a little early on that. Yeah, I agree with
1: that. And and as for the repetition. I, my I, I keep trying to make it, and it's hard for me to articulate. But even given that year-long gap in in events, if you look in the broader sense, longer term, you know, just ten years, or even just you know three years, and kind of go for the post Steve Jobs era. Although I think that the events, you know, uh, uh, there's a continuity from when Steve Jobs was ringleading these events. They don't no, they don't feel altogether different. It's not. I mean, his presence is obviously missed. Maybe, even, you know, I mean, he was, you know, clearly the best presenter that they have. He has a magnetism, an onstage magnetism that, you know, it, it's once in a lifetime occurrence. But it's still, they still feel like the same events. And the thing that Apple has that none of its competitors do is in the long term, they, they have these events with a regularity that allows them to be repetitious. Did I just make up a word? Is repetitious a word? I think it is. It's a great word. It should not. be a word. Yeah. No, I
0: agree. And and you know, you could go both ways with it. You could you could mock it for being the same thing over and over, or you could applaud it for the, for actually having substance that they can fill into those blanks. And, you know, with and and not have to worry about brainstorming some crazy new format just for the sake of doing it. So, and and some things have changed. Uh, they they seem to have pulled back on the we brought a bunch of developers to Apple HQ for two weeks and let them loose on the new SDK. Here's a bunch of apps that they made. Like We haven't seen that in a while.
1: Uh, The events are a lot like their products. They evolve slowly.
0: Right. And and part of that, I think, is because probably they haven't had any crazy new features that they would want to show off with six different apps or something like that, whereas in the past they did because everything was so new. Maybe we'll see you know with with this wearable thing if it happens next year that they did have another boot camp where they had 20 developers spend a month in living in tents in
1: Cupertino and here's what they came up with so right. think about a product i always think of the like a pro macbook and let's i'm talking long term so let's even consider the powerbook i'm not going to say it's unchanged but there is a very clear Lineage right from today's brand new 13 and 15 inch MacBook Pros, the ones that were just announced, you know, four days ago as we record, all the way back to the original titanium PowerBook G4, which I I forget what year it came out, but I'm thinking, I think it was like 2001 or so, right? That it was titanium, not aluminum, but it was colored the same. And, you know, there were some problems with using titanium, and they didn't take too many years before they switched to aluminum. And really, ever since then, I mean, again, I mean, there's huge differences in performance and thickness and weight and stuff like that, but at each single step of the way, the pro PowerBooks MacBooks have really kind of evolved very slowly, you know, and and there's never really been a radical... And who knows, maybe some year, one of these years, they're going to unveil a pro macbook that's as much of a change as the brand new macbook pro or mac pro is right but they haven't done that yet and i think mainly because they haven't seen the need you know and you don't really see people complaining about that and i think the events are sort of the same way i agree and it was 2001 you were right um
0: i think a lot of that is and if you see it's that everyone is copying that right. that look too and it, for for all of the products so uh i i you know, that's and I, I expect that to be the case for the iPhone and iPad too. I don't expect in even maybe in ten years that the iPhone looks drastically different than it does today or the iPad. I'm sure they'll be thinner and I'll be I don't know. What do you think of these curved phones? I'm I haven't
1: I've never used one, but it doesn't seem like that's a direction to pursue, but I don't know. No, and Samsung who which came out with one, even then, Said that it was uh, an experimental, and they're only releasing it in one market. I don't know if it was like South Korea or something, but that it was some kind of experiment. I mean, it it uh, was—I don't have the link handy, but it was like a statement to the Verge or something, where they really just wanted to put it in the consumer hands and see if these curved screens, you know, hold up in real-world use. Which (laughs) seems like a very strange thing to admit. Like, like I guess they're trying to say, are they going to crack when you put them in your? pocket or something like that because they're curved and it just seems like that that seems like a question you should have answered before it came to market. But I th- I think it kinda speaks to Samsung's development. Well, wasn't kind one of, of the process. Google Nexus phones curved
0: though as well?
1: Yeah, I thought so too. I wasn't sure why everybody was making a big deal out of that. I although maybe it was curved the other way instead of could be. Side to side, it was curved the other way. But it either way I never really saw the point of it. Yeah.
0: Uh, I I do like your analogy so you know talk about the different iPad uh models that we have you know available to us now. I, I do like your analogy to uh whether you you know whether you're carrying it with a MacBook or just using it as your main
1: computer or main at least main portable computer.
0: Main, yeah, exactly. Uh I, I I think it's interesting now that they do have kind of chip parity and and power parity that we will start to see which size people gravitate toward, uh, whether it is the smaller one or the bigger one.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I think you know, and and it's one of those things where Apple is. I'd I'd be surprised if they did, but I don't think they're ever going to break down publicly how those sales are falling. And you know, they'll 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 say as they have how many iPads total they've sold in the quarter. And I, they'll give you, I guess they give us still average selling price or that there's a way to work backwards to it. And then you can kind of make guesses from there. But it's you know a lot of guessing from the outside as to who's buying what. You kind of just have to eyeball it, I think, when you're out in public and see what, which iPads you see people using.
0: I wonder if there's a way for one of those uh, app SDK uh, analytics packages like Flurry to tell the...
1: The screen size i think that there is i'm almost i'm almost certain that there is that there's like an api that you can tell what the physical size of a screen is you wouldn't be able to use resolution by itself right. and you no law i don't think i mean again we haven't done a te- nobody's done a teardown on these or run you know one of those um system utilities that reports the exact cpu speed etc i mean who knows once some you know these things come out and public and people can run those things who knows maybe the a- iPad Air is slightly faster than the iPad mini but it seems like since they're saying A7 I think it I think it's the same A7 in both devices and so yeah you wouldn't be able to use that either yeah i did a little
0: math and i found that the density of the iPad Air is less than the iPad mini which makes sense because the they're fitting a you know the the main difference seems to be just the size of the screen so there's hmm. probably gonna be a little more empty air in the in the air. I'm st- I'm gonna stick mini. I think I I, I want to go to an Apple store and and try them both. Yeah. But for me, the mini uh, for for where I use it makes the most sense still, which is mostly around. Uh, you know, I I read in bed with it. I read. I, I travel, and I do carry a 13 inch MacBook Air with me, and I don't plan to stop doing that anytime soon. So the ha- having the mini. I think still makes the most sense but I do want to try the air out and yeah. just see you know just how but one thing that um I don't think I've seen a lot of people talking about is that still attracts me to the mini the most is the pixel density uh that because they both have the same resolution you know we still have the effectively the iPhone pixel density on the iPad mini which to close up and I do use it close up Will look better than the iPad pixel density.
1: Yes, let's pick so that up there. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on that because I right, I can go forever. It. But let's do the sponsor break and then we'll come back and I'll I'll sort of say what I'm thinking about which one I want to buy because I'm only gonna buy one for myself. I'll, me, I'll, me too. And I I've, I've, I'll just say this up front: it's way harder this year than last year. The decision. That's a good cliffhanger. Uh, let me tell you about our first sponsor though. It's our old friends, good friends, Mail Route. Uh, last time I introduced MailRoute, I think Moltz was on, and we were talking about uh, prison liquor. And I said, speaking of prison liquor, let me tell you about MailRoute. And I, as soon as I said that, I thought, <laughs> maybe I should edit that out. And then like the day after the show aired, I got an email from them, and they were like, what a great intro. Can you do that again? So if you're thinking about prison liquor, and I know many of you are, but judging from the emails I've gotten from you readers, listeners over the last few weeks, you wanna know about MailRoute. MailRoute is the solution for admins who are in charge of email for their domain. What is it? Well, it's a solution, an independent solution that doesn't let you or your company, your domain, um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, be strong-armed by Google or Microsoft in terms of cloud email storage. It's a service you sign up for. They don't host your email. You just route your mail through them, and then it goes to wherever you want to host it. You can host it on your own IMAP server. You can have it go forward to something like uh, Google Apps, uh, Google, you know, which is the Google for your domain, uh, or Office 365 or something like that. Um, and the guys at MailRoute, are such experts on this. I mean, they were the team. They used to work at Microsoft. They're the ones who who wrote the filters that are used in Office 365. Um, so they know it's stone cold. They also know where the gaps are in that service, and they've filled them in with MailRoute. They have um, innovative features, and the best thing, it's fully customizable because they know that system admins, the type of people who are in charge of email... Are super opinionated and picky about all the little details of hosting. And they're not going to go with some kind of cloud based service where it's take it or leave it. Here's how everything is. Everything in MailRoute is customizable. You want to do your filtering at MailRoute? You can do it there. You just want to have everything passed through except for spam? You could do that. You don't want gray listing? Fine. They can shut it off. Everything they have is configurable. The defaults are very sane. You could get up and running very quickly, uh, very easily. But if you want to get in and fiddle with it, as a lot of admins do, or maybe even need to because of the specific needs of the, the team or the business that you're running, um, you can do it all. There's no hardware or software to, to install. This is super easy. Um uh, it's just a front end for your mail servers. Puts about a second or two between when your mail comes into mail route and then it gets forwarded on to your to your server. You just sign up online and change your DNS MX records and you start getting a cleaner stream of email. Um and just to talk, this is my favorite detail. I'm sure that it applies to a lot of people who listen to this show. Their focus on admins is such, you know, in terms of how much can you fiddle with it. They have a JSON API. Uh, for developers, admin slash developers who want to automate the management of the email filtering or integrate it with your own systems, right? So if you really want to nerd out with this, you really can. Uh, They have a migration plan for people who are using other services uh, like Postini or Forefront. Uh, You can switch to MailRoute in one step. You can try it, and this is the most amazing thing, 15-day free trial, free. So you can try it all out, 15 days, Over two weeks, make sure that it works for your needs before you pay anything. Here's where you go. MailRoute.net slash the talk show. MailRoute.net slash the talk show. And if you use the promo code TTS or spell it out with the spaces, the talk show, TTS or the talk show, you get 10% off for the lifetime of your account which is amazing a lot of a lot of sponsors offer 10 percent off for a month or something like that which is great great deal but 10 percent off for lifetime i mean that's amazing go check them out and my thanks to MailRoute. all right which ipad am i going to buy
0: now i want to know which promo code people type in more
1: yeah that'd be a good question i'd go tts
0: i think so too
1: yeah um uh, Boy, I got to tell you, it's a really tough decision. As I wrote about in my thing, I mean, this is really – I mean, it's almost the, the hardest thing or biggest section of my my write-up of the event is um, – and I don't think it's to the detriment of either product. But I think that last year when the iPad Mini came out, it was a, a maybe not easy to choose between them but obvious how to choose between them because they both had major trade-offs. The iPad 4, or if you just bought it six months before and didn't want to upgrade or whatever, the iPad 3, which more or less the same device, you know, it's a lightning adapter and slightly better performance. But let's say the iPad 3 and 4 was same device versus the original iPad mini. The, the big I, iPad had obviously had a retina screen. It was way heavier, 1.4 pounds. It was thicker than the iPad 2 let alone the iPad mini, bigger, heavier, thicker had the a six processor, the a six X, I guess, but you know, it was cutting edge, uh, iOS performance and you know, more expensive.
0: And I, I'm guessing more Ram, which is, I think
1: it did. Yeah. It's all any, anything, anything performance related. Yeah, yeah. I think anything performance related and Ram is obviously it's more than just a convenience. It's, it's performance. The iPad mini, obviously it's mini. It was way smaller. Way lighter and had, and it was less expensive, but it had serious trade-offs. It did not have a retina screen. And once you go retina, it was really kind of rough to go back, especially given that the whole point of using an iPad when you already own an iPhone is mainly because it's better to read on a bigger display, right? I mean, you're with me. I mean, I mostly use my iPad for reading and reading, I think is the one place where the retina screen makes the biggest difference way bigger than games, bigger even than video, because anything where it's moving, you don't see the details as much as when it's static text and you just get that crisp resolution. So you give up Retina. It was
0: Especially in- on something so small that you're going to hold closer to your
1: face. Exactly. Um, I mean, everybody, you know, everybody had the same reaction when they saw the original Mini last year. This is a great device. I love the way it feels. I wish it had a Retina display. Uh, and performance was behind too. It was an A5. So it was the year before's system on a chip. It had less RAM. And less RAM manifests itself in numerous ways. But if you're someone like me, I mean, I do a lot of email, a lot of Twitter, a lot of Safari and other reading apps. Um, but largely bouncing between Safari and TweetBot and Mail on the iPad. And when you're switching apps and you have a lot of tabs open in Safari, you run into that thing where the memory gets purged. And when you switch back to Safari, the tabs have to reload. Uh, and that's something you know that gets alleviated as you add more RAM. And you, I hit that on the iPad mini more than I hit when I had an iPad 3.
0: And I would say a year later, that's what I noticed the most of anything. Yeah, it's definitely feels slow, especially relative to my iphone 5 but the ram i see it especially with more complicated apps these days i see apps starting
1: from a fresh state almost every time i launch them yeah yep me too uh so you know a lot of trade-offs that made it kind of obvious like what do you what do you value uh and for me even with those trade-offs the mini was was the obvious choice because i carry when i travel i carry um a MacBook Air, so I've already got like a 2.5 pound device in the bag, and so carrying the 0.68 pound mini as my secondary thing in the bag as opposed to the 1.4 pound iPad 4 was a big difference. Um, and at home, not just when I'm traveling, but at home when I'm using my iPad, and it's usually at the end of the day, and I'm on the couch, and I'm reading. And it was, even with the retina, sc- you know, non-retina screen, just more comfortable to sit there and hold it in my hand being lightweight and easily held in one hand. Um, For me, the test is
0: if it falls on my face because I've fallen asleep, Will it, how much will it hurt my nose? And the retina, when I got that first retina iPad 3, that thing, I was scared. I thought it was, I literally thought I broke my nose once. And... The mini, on the other hand, is, you know, just it, it'll bounce off and fall on the floor and then it doesn't
1: matter. But, <laughs> you that, know, I a big, think, it's a big test for me. I think that the big iPad 3, 4, I think it got point, point 0.2 pounds heavier than the iPad 2. I, I could be wrong, but it's, I think I'm close, which doesn't sound like a lot, but felt like a lot somehow. Somehow felt like it crossed crossed a threshold and I can see exactly what you mean where like it somehow crossed the fall on your face and is it going to hurt threshold.
0: I never had the two. I had the one and we still have it, it, but we have it in a holder and it's kind of on a swing arm. So it's mounted and it's never able to be a face crusher. But that retina one, that was, that thing is dense and it had that sharp edge. Couldn't deal with that.
1: So, the way that both of those iPads evolved year over year, both took them both in a direction that addressed each of their trade offs and made that makes this is what makes the decision so much more complicated. So, the big trade off with the full size iPad was heaviness and thickness, and it's you know radically thinner and smaller. I mean, the, the, the width decrease of decreasing the bevel i don't know how big a deal that is it seems nice at least in the hands-on area last week at apple it did seem easy you know seemed nicer um but the weight difference is just dramatic it is just amazing like i was there with uh in the hands-on room with mg siegler and he had his ipad 4 with him and took it out of his bag and we could just do a side by side and it was it really just felt, it didn't feel like 0.4 pounds. It felt like half. It felt like it was like half the weight. It felt like we could put two of those new iPads together and be the same weight as last year's. It's a huge difference. Way more comfortable to hold in your hands. Uh, and therefore, a lot of the reason that, you know, that's a lot of the reason that I, I preferred the Mini. The Mini addresses all of the weaknesses it had. It doesn't have a, it has a retina display now, I should say. And it has the same performance. It's you know just as fast. It seems to have as much RAM, uh, but it's a little bit more expensive at the same storage point. So you you lose some of that uh, price advantage of choosing a Mini over an iPad. So it's a it's a lot tougher. It's no longer
0: kind of uh, oh I lost it oh well cheap you know right. <laughs> and like even... I, I priced out the one I wanted it was like oh six hundred thirty bucks or whatever that's yeah.
1: It not even, joking around. It even got a little heavier. Nowhere near, nowhere near the difference that when the iPad 2 went to the 3 and they had to make it a lot heavier to power the retina screen. It's negligibly heavier. I think in grams it went from a little like 308 to 331. So like I don't know, it's like 7 or 8% heavier. And it, it you know, a lot of people asked me, I asked on Twitter when I was there that day, you know, what questions you have. A lot of people said, "Hey, does this small weight increase in the mini feel make it feel different. I, I I didn't have one to do side by side with the old one, but it it's just from my recollection as a as a daily iPad mini user, it felt the same more or less. I don't think at, that at, that
0: I think it's like less than
1: 10% difference. Yeah. So, but bottom line for someone like me who when they travel is already going to take up still going to take a MacBook. And so you've already got like a 2 to 3 Pound device in the bag, and you're just, hey, I just don't, you know, I don't want to weigh it down with something bigger. Well, now you're still talking about a 0.7 pound mini or a 1.0 pound uh, iPad Air. You're really only talking about three tenths of a pound extra. So it's not, you know, somebody who decides to carry their Air in addition to a MacBook isn't really taking on that much more weight. As opposed to last year, where the mini was more than half the weight or less than half the weight of the full-size iPad, it's a big difference, and I really do think it complicates it. I think I'm still going to choose the mini, though. Yeah, point th- three pounds
0: is one tenth of the weight of a MacBook Air 13-inch. So yeah, so but see, but, uh, see, but th- the fact that it's that little we're getting in the weeds it it really is becoming harder to kind of just make this decision based on very, you know they've become so close together yeah uh which you know kind of leads you to wonder where's the where's the high end of that size
1: gonna be in a year or two do they go bigger with that i don't know I guess and, and you know I wrote about this in my piece this week but I think the best way to think about it is that last year choosing between the iPad Mini and the iPad Air was sort of like choosing between a MacBook Air and a MacBook Pro where there was a lot of trade-offs performance trade-offs screen resolution trade-offs bigger price differential and this year to me it's more like choosing between the 11-inch Air and the 13-inch Air where it's more or less the same and you just kind of have to choose between which you know size you like better and it's it's a lot more subtle of a difference to make, you know
0: yeah and i I wonder if it's uh if if you're mostly reading the minis better if you're if you do any sort of create creative stuff that the bigger one
1: yeah I think people who type on their iPad and I know there's a lot a lot of people who do it's got to be better on the big one, although I just saw a, a friend on Twitter said, you know I type better on the mini. And I guess, I think it's because he's a thumb typer rather than a touch typer, or maybe he has very tiny hands. I don't know. But, you know, if you're putting, <laughs> if you're putting your iPad out in landscape and doing typing on the on screen keyboard, the big one is, you know, effectively a full size keyboard and the mini is not. I can't touch type on it. I can only thumb type on it, but I don't do much right. That's why I carry a MacBook Air when I travel around, you know, when I'm out of the house and I travel somewhere, that's why I take a MacBook Air with me. Same here.
0: And and beyond the fact that I do a lot of not just typing, but the design work that you just can't do on an iPad yet. Right. Uh, so were you surprised at all that they didn't, you know, and I, I made some stupid joke about this on Twitter before the event, but were you surprised that they didn't do some sort of keyboard cover now that they're so gung-ho about, accessories and
1: increasing margins that way? No, I guess I'm not surprised. Although I I thought and I'm not one, I've often said repeatedly on this show that I don't really read much into the design or or slogan of the event invitations. But the fact that this one said we have a lot to we still have a lot to cover made me think, oh, maybe they've got something specifically cover related to talk right. about but the covers are you know there's and really did you see the stuff.
0: verge like went back through all the old invites and kind of said okay these ones kind of have subtle hints at the, the stuff and these ones don't anyway no i didn't see that oh yeah it was pretty pretty good uh they they had a bunch of them so yeah this one I, this
1: one clearly had nothing to do with the no, hint. no it really just meant we have a lot of little things to cover <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> um
0: I I would be I would probably buy. I haven't actually tried that uh surface keyboard cover, but I also don't think that really says much about what Apple could do if they put their mind to it. So,
1: yeah, I I don't know. Uh, you know, I do think it's intriguing. I I also think though, and I know for me personally, and this just is largely about the places where I use um my MacBook air while I'm traveling. Yes. Sometimes I am at a hotel desk and a tablet on a hardware keyboard cover would do just as well. But when I'm on an airplane, I don't put the, my air on a, on the tray. Usually I usually literally use it as a laptop. I have it on my lap and that's, you know, everybody always says, even with the surface, you can't really type on your lap. Uh, and I use it to take notes at conferences sometimes you know like at WWDC or something like that and again there there you have no tray you have to use it on your lap and so you know a, a tablet hooked up to a keyboard wouldn't work for me
0: yeah what i kind of want and maybe with the uh low power bluetooth this will become more possible would be to use the iphone as the ipad keyboard cuz i'm Ooh. actually still better at typing Although I've gotten worse at typing on my iPhone, but hmm. and, uh, autocorrect seems to have gotten worse too, but I don't I don't know about that. But uh it seems to be going further back in your typing and and changing things to be wrong words. But
1: yeah, uh, I've seen that too just the other day uh I was I was posting from the airplane and I was using uh my iPad and I wrote I wanted to say it's just icing on the cake and it it changed it to justifying the cake, but it only (laughs) made the change after I must've typed icing. And I know there was a space in there and I just, I did obviously didn't notice the change happen, but it's like, I wasn't even thinking about it because it was, you know, like two words later. It was annoying because it was also one of those things because I was on the plane. I didn't catch it for a couple minutes.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's up with that. Hopefully, they'll fix that. But anyway, I, I would love to use my iPhone as an iPad keyboard. Yeah. I don't know what. Maybe I should just – and I do do – like I find myself wanting to respond to an email on my iPad and then go, oh, I'll just do this on my phone because it's easier to type there. Yeah.
1: So – I do think there's something to the fact – I mean it's pretty clear. I mean that Apple is um, – they don't sell a slew of first-party peripherals or add-ons to their devices but they're they're obviously keenly interested in them i mean they they first made a foray into these cases with the bumpers for the iphone 4 which didn't seem to take off you know it doesn't seem like the apple branded bumpers were particularly popular with the iphone 4 and 4s i never saw that many of them in the wild and i think well, I also so. gave
0: away a bunch of free ones. Yeah, too.
1: and even giving away the free ones, I didn't see that many. No,
0: I got one and put it on
1: and then said, eh, nah, never mind. Yeah. Uh, my thought with that, and, and it's not even – I don't even think it's particularly insightful because I think that they – I think they spelled it out when they introduced them at the event, which was, okay, we've noticed that a lot of you are using cases with your iPhone. But we've designed the whole iPhone, including the back, to be beautiful, so here, all right, you want something that protects the thing a little bit and, you know, raises over the glass so you can set it down and not put the glass on a on a surface. Use this instead and, you know, at least you can still, you know, most of the iPhone is still exposed. And I think people's reaction to that was, "No, no, no, I want to cover up everything." You know, I you know. And so the new cases, this year's cases for the for the 5S and the the 5C you know are more like the cases that everybody's been selling for for years and years where it wraps the whole device. And they did that for the iPad as well where they right. have Well, I guess if you look
0: at the iPhone and iPad, they both were launched with more types of accessories than they have today. Yeah. Like the iPhone, remember the Bluetooth ear piece that Apple made and then with the iPad they had that weird keyboard, dock yeah. type thing. And, yeah. and I think through usage, they said, eh, these things aren't really worth pursuing. But, oh, there is this market for uh,
1: specific cases that we didn't have at launch. Let's do those. You know, what, you know what's funny is that 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 weird keyboard dock that launched with the original 2010 iPad, which I guess in hindsight was sort of a sign of their not quite knowing what everybody was going to want to do with iPads yet, you know? It was, you know, I mean, it was almost explicit in the presentation. Look, you know, we know it's this is great for some things. We don't know what everything's going to be. But that, that still made me think going into this week with that we have lots to cover that maybe they would do a keyboard cover. Because they've had – it wouldn't be out of the blue. It wouldn't be unprecedented that they would do an iPad-specific keyboard.
0: And Logitech seems to be kind of capturing – yeah, a nice chunk of of some market. You know, I don't know how big it is. I don't know how many people are actually buying those things. Yeah, And Amazon even has a knockoff of them which mm-hmm. I kind of want to buy just to see how huh. how junky it is, but uh
1: well, I I tell you where I do see I, you know, when you I fly enough that I I uh you know, I see I'm in airport. It just feels like I'm in airports a lot nowadays. And I do see an awful lot of people typing um uh, you know, with some kind of hardware keyboard on their iPads. A lot. Some of them are hilarious
0: there. They have like eight different, they have to fold them out like six <laughs> different ways. <laughs> it's like, why don't you just get a, uh, one of those big ass Dell inspirons and, and do that. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's almost negates the fact that, that, that the iPad is so small and portable,
1: but yeah, a little bit. But on the other hand, I still do see, you know, and, and we were talking about this at the event, the hands-on event, uh, and I, I tried to write about it this week too, but that, you know, if you want to be somebody who only travels with one device, you know, when you're traveling, just one computer in your bag, um, a new iPad Air plus a third-party keyboard is still going to be like half the weight of even an 11-inch MacBook Air. Because I an mean, 11-inch MacBook Air is like 2.4 pounds. So with a one-pound iPad, I mean, how much those keyboards weigh? they can't weigh more than you know three four five i mean at most half a pound right, so you're still coming in at like half the weight of an eleven inch air, which a lot you know which is you know one of the smallest laptops out there I'm looking it up
0: uh yeah i I agree and and almost kind of makes you wonder why they haven't uh used some of this technology to make the Macbook air thinner if. I mean,
1: it, could, it could just be battery. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, I think then you get into the whole realm of you know the desktop class nature of the A seven, and you know does this presage a future MacBook Air that's running on a uh, you know A eight or A nine, and you know announce it? You know, might be the sort of thing that they'd have to, like like the Intel switch that they would have to announce two three months ahead of time at WWdc to get developers to rec- Mac developers to recompile apps as fat binaries with arm and Intel versions of the Mac and then start selling the thing in September or something like that um, but I, ser- I I don't know I don't think that's likely but I think it is definitely possible in terms and in, in term why, why would they do that I think to get an air that weighs more like one point something pounds than two point something pounds. Totally, and that'd be crazy. All right, so I'm looking at the
0: ultra thin keyboard cover for iPad. Which okay, seems to be the thin one, the light one, and that's still
1: is that the Logitech? F- and that's Logitech, correct? Yeah, right, which is a hundred
0: bucks. It's there's they, they they have like three or four different kinds. One of them looks just like the Apple uh, Bluetooth keyboard. One of them is the one that I see a lot with. Eight different flaps where people have to—it's like a trapper keeper. But this is the very simple one. That's a cover, the ultra thin keyboard cover for iPad, not for Mini, and it comes in four colors and weighs 0.8 pounds. Ah, so, so,
1: that's more than I would have thought. But 0.78, it's seven eight. But all right, well then you're still talking about 1.78 pounds, and you're a half pound under even the 11 inch Air. So not as much as I would have thought, but it's still still better.
0: It's getting there, yeah.
1: Right. I mean, a half pound is a half pound.
0: I wonder if it's going to come down to uh, stock levels. I wonder if people are going to see that the mini is delayed three months, so they got to buy an Air. I yeah,
1: don't... it'll be interesting to see. I'm interesting from an operational standpoint, and I think the fact that the um uh, they announced they announced a ship date for the Air, the iPad Air, and it's what was it ten days after the event, I think. It's
0: next Friday, so right? So that's basically. like
1: nine or or no, it's more than ten days. It's uh, no ten days, ten days after the event. The mini is quote unquote later in November, which I think really shows just how tight it was engineering and operationally to get the mini to Retina and the A seven in one year. Um, because that's literally the latest that they could ship and still have any hope of meeting holiday demand, right? I mean, you can't ship a holiday product in December. Hopefully, it'll be out later in November, I'm thinking, will mean it'll be at least available for sale in some quantities by, uh, what is it called, Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. Because if it's not, then a lot of people are just going to buy the one that is available. The, you know, right. They won't even have to make a decision.
0: So here's another interesting thing. I don't know if this is the first time I suppose I could look, but the, the of the iPad Air, the Wi-Fi and cellular models will be available the same day this time. Well, I didn't know that I was ma- different before. Well, I, I don't know about the last year's full-size iPad, but I remember the Mini, the cellular version, didn't ship for two or three weeks after the uh, Wi-Fi version was available, Just is wa- one of the reasons I was stuck with the... Wi-Fi version cuz I wanted to get it what the first possible
1: day. So, so, here's a question for you. Or let me let me I'll give you the question but I'm going to do a sponsor reading and you can answer okay. afterwards. Um here's the question. The question is do you buy a, number 1 do you buy a cellular iPad? Do you can answer that one. Well, or do you go the, Wi-Fi only?
0: I I've done both.
1: Oh. Are you what are you going to buy this year?
0: Maybe let's We'll do a cliffhanger.
1: And All we'll right, do a cliffhanger. We'll talk about it. All right, let me tell you.
0: It's not a. It's not a simple
1: answer. All right. Well, then let's hold it. I want to tell you about our second sponsor, and again, longtime sponsor of the show. Good friends at an event apart. The "an" in their name is just as important as the the "the" in the talk show. So I would never call them event apart. They're an event apart. What's an event apart? It's the design conference for people who make websites. It's the one web design and front-end development conference that you don't want to miss. Because year after year, an event apart is the place where groundbreaking ideas uh, appear in public first. An event apart stage is where Ethan Marcotte introduced responsive web design can't shake a stick today and not talk about responsive web design right that's the idea that you have. you create one design you use css you can use javascript you can use other things but you produce one website one set of urls none of this nonsense where you redirect to to mobile.domainname.com or something like that one set of domain names where the layout is flexible and adjusts to any and every client that that hits it whether it's a phone whether it's a tablet or whether it's a you know a, a Mac Pro with a 30-inch cinema display. That's where responsive web design became public. Uh, it's where Christina Halverson sounded the cry for content strategy, right? I mean, content strategy, is like a, it's like its own industry now. People, know it, years ago, before she introduced it and started uh, singing the praises of it and preaching it at an event apart, nobody had even heard of content strategy. It's a great conference. Uh, I've been to it several times it's also a conference that isn't just once a year in one location. It's it's sort of a traveling road show. So where do you what do you want to do if you want to find out when it's coming near you? What's the schedule? What are the tickets? What are the cities they're coming to? Here's what you do. You go to the website an slash talkshow. That way they'll know you're coming from here. You'll find out everything you need to know. Uh can't recommend it highly enough. Great, great conference. Uh just first class in terms of facilities, even the food is better than, than any other conference I've been to. Uh, really great. My thanks to an event apart. All right. Cellular or Wi-Fi iPad. I, I've only ever bought uh, cellular models because I do use that a lot.
0: And I've bought now twice the wrong kind and have had to return it <laughs> or wanted to. So the first iPad I ever bought was cellular, and that was the AT&T 3G original iPad. And I was very excited about streaming the Cubs games at the gym over over 3G cuz back then you had unlimited data, so I could, you know, pull down as many as much as I wanted to. I could stream video without being concerned about that. And it didn't work because the network sucked so bad that You know the the video just didn't didn't stream where I was. So uh, after that point, I was like, "All right, I'm not getting another, I'm not getting another 3G iPad. This is stupid." And and then iOS whatever five or something turned on tethering. So even then, I was even more against the idea of having a cellular iPad. And then I bought an iPad with Retina three iPad three with Wi Fi and. That was the first LTE – was that the first LTE yeah. Apple product, period? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And I borrowed someone's LTE thing and went, holy crap, I need this. So I returned my iPad and got an LTE one. And, uh, and, and then I found that iPad to be unusably heavy, so I never used that. <laughs> So then, when the mini came out, I'm like, "All right, I'm just getting the first thing that comes out, I'm getting the 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 Wi-Fi one." And then a month after that, I realized that I'm an idiot and should only buy cellular from now on. So that's that's the answer: is that I'm getting a Verizon. But uh, so now I'm tempted. This crazy guy who's now the CEO of T-Mobile is doing things like setting his hair on fire and giving one everyone 200 megs of free data a month. And then I wonder, should I get a T-Mobile hmm. iPad? And have 200 megs of free data? Probably not. I'm a, I'm on the Verizon family plan, so for 10 bucks a month, I can just tap into the, the pool of plan, right? Right. So anyway, that was an unnecessarily long way of saying Verizon
1: 32 gigs Space Gray Mini. I bet a lot of people have gone through the similar um, jumps though, like that. It was a good explanation. Uh, I, you know what? Here's a big one for me. Is I've always bought the highest capacity one, but I think I don't think anymore because now that they've gone to 128, I don't. I, I've never filled the 64, so I, I I feel like I don't need that, and I feel like I should double check my storage on the 64 because I don't know that I really need even 64. Because one of the things I wanted 64 was to load up a bunch of music, and I feel like that's you know I, f- I feel like that's you got to get with the times and iTunes Radio is really the way to go if you want to listen to music and I know if you're on a plane you know iTunes Radio isn't going to work for you but I don't really listen to music if I'm going to listen to music on my plane anyway I want it from my phone not from the iPad right I just want the headphones going into my pocket not to something I'm carrying around so exactly I exactly. don't know that I need even sixty four I'm going to double check and I don't have big games I'm not an Infinity Blade player so I don't have um. Big games. I'm, I, you know, whereas I still, I still buy the biggest iPhone storage wise that I can buy, and also, I mean, even if just for you know photos and videos that I shoot. Um, also, I don't shoot photos and videos with my iPads, so I don't need storage for that. But I do no. go cellular.
0: Uh, yeah, for me, that's the better use of that that hundred bucks or whatever. Because for the, the the way I think about it is, how much video will I reasonably watch on this trip that I'm going on? That's probably the most amount of storage I'd ever need. And it turns out the 16 is too small, even at at SD. uh, I find myself having to delete stuff and re download it, and that's very annoying. I'm
1: a little surprised, especially since I went to 120. I'm a little surprised the 16 stayed around, although it's, you know, I I think it's, you know, it's about hitting certain price points and stuff like that. But it's, you know. Yeah. It's a vague disappointment to me that the. That like the the you know three ninety nine for mini and four ninety nine for iPad Air isn't thirty two gig.
0: Yeah, you'd think that at some point they would kind of reset the base level,
1: right? Because it is stretching it sixteen. Which they've done
0: on the iPhone. Yeah. I mean, the first iPhone was started at four gigs, right, or right. or eight. I right. forgot one of those two.
1: I feel like it's one of those things where I'll, I'll eat my hat if next year sixteen gigabyte iPads don't go away. I feel like that the bar will be raised and thirty two will become a new baseline. What will happen first,
0: that or the iPod Classic <laughs> retirement? I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I do uh, – so a lot of people are, are also wondering about the iPad 2, why it's why it's still around and why mm. it's still $400 and not something like $200. And uh, you, you address it in your post very well. I, and I joke that I think that they should have just called it the iPad Square because <laughs> it's still – if you are – and I, I see these – you know, almost every coffee shop now, one of those point of sale things. And a lot of them use the old uh, dock connector, either for power or uh, the the credit card swiper. Uh, Square, of course, uses the headphone jack for the credit card swiping right. thing. But if you get the new Square register, I believe it uses the old pin connector uh, for everything. And then the um, and, and that's where you know you don't need Retina, you don't need performance. You, you just do want the something. big one, though. You need the big one, right? Because especially if you got you know messy hands or something, and you just need a, a big touch target for those cash register apps and for people to sign in and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But they don't want to make it too cheap because they don't want normal people buying it instead of a good iPad, right? You know,
1: you know <laughs> that, that's that's a non-cynical way. To put it, I think the you know even the more cynical way might have a lot of truth. Where there if there's so many people who are still buying it at three ninety nine, you know, three four weeks ago before this event, why reduce the price if they don't seem to be under any pressure from consumers? If demand isn't tapering off at three ninety nine, why not keep it around? And presumably, you know, given that it's um it's a twenty a product that debuted in April 2011, right? Mhm. Right, April 2011. Uh at 4.99 and now they're still selling it for 3.99 presumably. I would think that they're making insane margins off it. I wouldn't I would be I assume that it in terms of profit margin it's the most profitable iOS device they make. Maybe I mean maybe the iPhone is the most because of the subsidies. It's probably the most profitable percentage-wise. IPad unsubsidized device that they make
0: yep i would i would agree with that and the you know it's also important to consider the relative cost you know i i was asking someone about this a while ago and they said that the cost savings between one of those ipad point of sales and a cash register is still hundreds or even you know a thousand dollars or something like that so you know we're we're Worrying about a hundred bucks here and there, but the reality is that they're still saving, you know, maybe a hundred percent or even more of the all-in
1: cost. So I, I've thought talk- it doesn't really matter that much. I was talking to somebody else about Square, uh, and I think in particular, you know, it, it ties into you know using the iPad as the device that drives the reader. Um, Square does not win; their their, their rates are. Their rates are um, uh, competitive, but they're not the best. Like you can save money by going with some kind of dedicated uh, point of sale or something. Uh, in terms of
0: the in terms of the hardware or no the- in terms of
1: the processing, processing. fees, processing fees. I see. But but Squares are not bad, you know. Um, but the main win it has nothing to do with comparing a two point. 3% plus 30% 30 cents per transaction versus whatever else. It really is just about the fact that they take so much of the friction out of setting it up in the first place and keeping it running where you just sign up and it's like a you know a three-step elegant sign up process and you put a reader in an iPad and you're off and that's it. And for small business owners, you know, like you said, coffee shops and stuff like that, their biggest concern is, you know, making the coffee and, and making customers happy. Like the last thing they want to worry about is the, the register. You know, it's, it's yeah. just about, it's just getting rid of the hassle. It's just eliminates so much hassle from getting it up and running. And maybe it's, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where maybe, you know, financially you'd be better off biting the bullet and spending three days setting up something more complicated because you're going to use it for the next five years. But nobody ever wants to spend those three days doing that. They just want to spend an hour setting up Square and be done with totally. it. Totally. Yep. The other, group, uh... the other group I know for a fact, because just talking to people at Apple, big, big buyers of the iPad 2 are schools. And I think it's, you know, meaning K-12. Because I think once you're talking about college, you know, it, it, colleges don't buy the iPads for students. It's students come with their own. We're talking about like K-12 schools. And you would think, I would think that the even last year's iPad mini, which was a lower price starting point at 329 would be great, especially for the elementary school kids. But from what I've been told, schools want full-size iPads, and they want the cheapest one they can possibly get. And so the iPad two i i you know I've been told it still sells really, really well to k twelve, and so thus it stays
0: and if you're buying a thousand units, that's a hundred thousand bucks you're saving. that's not nothing all right no um, all right, I lied apparently square stand is available to support the lightning connector so. You don't need. The it wasn't re- You're
1: not nuts, though. The, it, when it when it first debuted, it wasn't. Right. right. Yeah. But you'd be. So n- I mean, honestly, though. I mean, you know, I'm I'm as picky as the next guy. But if if you know, if Dan, if you and I open a coffee shop, I'd I'd make sure we. You know, I'd, I'd put an iPad two in the register. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> Why spend an extra hundred bucks? Yeah. <laughs> it really is just a touchscreen, and like you said, it's still cheaper than a dedicated register. But you know, doesn't even make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that Apple
0: has upgraded all their – the Apple Store iPad displays to Retina, at least the ones I've seen. But I guess they probably have a lot of kind of dinged up uh, yeah. ones that they can't sell or something like that. I don't yeah, know, or right. refurb- you know, returns or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Good use of those.
1: Uh, let me take this break right here and just tell you about our third sponsor. Another one, old friend of the show, longtime sponsor – good friends at Squarespace. Now, you know Squarespace because if you've listened to the show before, I'll bet you've heard about them. But think about it. What are they? They're the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. Uh, I'll tell you right now, you get a free trial and 10% off your first purchase by going to squarespace.com and using offer offer code uh, talkshow ten. Uh you know what? And Squarespace is a great example to compare to and unrelated. It's a coincidence that they both have Square in their name. But everything I just said about businesses using Square for their commerce uh, or credit card processing applies to Squarespace for hosting in terms of look, they make it so much easier. So much of the hassle, so many of the steps are taken out of the way to getting a new website off the ground where they can take care of everything from registering domain names. Um, they have templates to choose from, great templates. Uh, they're all tweakable. You can drag things around and drag and drop. You can get into the code and adjust them at the code level. Um, but if you're just looking to get something off the ground and you want to get it off the ground and keep going, what a great solution because you can just load it up, pick a, a template that looks good to you, that appeals to the, you know, the brand that you're trying to convey, and then configure it just by drag and drop. You don't have to learn anything. You just move it around. Uh, it's a great thing. And when it does come to commerce, they have – this is one of the newest features that they have uh, added to the Squarespace platform is e-commerce to their platform. And anybody, I mean, and this is, you know, probably the the oldest thing in all of web design is what a pain in the ass it is to set up e-commerce because there's so many things to go through, everything from dealing with uh, SSL certificates to do HTTPS instead of HTTP to uh, the hassles of doing your own credit card uh, uh, commerce. Squarespace has teamed up with Stripe, which is a great uh, mobile or e-commerce credit card processor processor to make e-commerce easier than anything else I've ever seen before. You can set up your own store and start taking orders and everything is built in. Everything from uh, shipping labels to uh, inventory management, it's all right there built into Squarespace. So if you're thinking about setting up a store or adding a store to sell anything, t-shirts or tickets or whatever it is that you might need to sell from your company, your service, your website, Squarespace makes it insanely easy. They have great support, 24 hours, seven days a week. The whole team is based in New York City, um, available to chat 24-7, which is amazing. Uh, They're a design-focused company. They really do value the way things look, the way things feel. So check them out. If you have any need to set up your own website, uh, go to squarespace.com slash talkshow10, and uh, they'll know you came from the show.
0: So speaking of web design, I'm curious what you think about Apple's new kind of paradigm of of web pages, where they're doing that thing that a lot of... I see a lot of startups do it, too, where you're almost flipping through a PowerPoint when you load the web page. But you go down, or no, I guess some of them go side it's, to side. It's not a, yeah, you go down. It's not a smooth scroll, though. It's almost like you're flipping through slides. And it's not on every page, but on All a right. lot of their, do you like that? I kind of don't like it. Everything looks great. Like the the 5C page is very colorful, looks awesome. Yeah. I'm not crazy about the flipping
1: through yeah, I'm looking at the slides. air page now. Yeah, and you kind of click a button. Yeah, no, it's exactly what it is. You do go down, and it is. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That it is sort of a like a keynote deck, and there's like a little little dots on the side that tell you which one you're on. Uh, I can see why they do it because it certainly makes it more skimmable, but it makes it harder to go deep. So I don't know. I guess I'm a little non. Plus, or maybe I'm misusing non-plus there. Uh, what it does is kind of
0: lets one piece of the story own the screen, but it doesn't. It it's not a very smooth scrolling
1: thing. Yeah, I wonder like how you, much you, don't, you only. I wonder how much of it is about what they're like. You know, using it on iOS devices.
0: Oh yeah, could be. And some of these, I mean, the stuff they're doing with motion graphics and I I always love reading, like, the technology behind some of those where it's, like, some crazy JPEG that's being rendered in a very weird way. Right. They're making videos out of images and all kinds of stuff. It's
1: kind of cool. Yeah, I hadn't really looked at this before. As I sit here flipping through the iPad Air page, it it is kind of neat the way that each transition – it, the iPad Air itself is part of the animation and never leaves the screen. It just keeps moving around, and different stuff keeps coming by it. So it's it's technically impressive, but I think in terms of answering the questions that I have as sort of an obsessive nerd, when I come to the page, it's not as good.
0: I always just go straight to the tech
1: specs exactly. page.
0: That's that's where the, that's where the stuff I want to see, like the, All right. <laughs> Is usually hiding. But.
1: They have a good page too where it's not the same on uh, – can't. i I've referred to it more times this week than probably any other page on the internet is that you just go to apple.com slash iPad and it's like the top level all iPad page and you go to compare iPads and it has – it's sort of like one of their tech spec pages but it covers all of the iPads that they're still selling. So it compares – Oh, interesting. It compares the iPad 2, the iPad Air, the old but still available at two ninety nine original iPad Mini, and the new iPad Mini, and you can see some of the weight differences and size differences. And it's it's a super helpful page in terms of understanding the the differences from last year to this year. Hmm. A couple other things from this week. Um, I guess one of the other big well I don't know how big it is but there's a lot of you know iWork got updated this week and it's you know the the big news is that they've achieved parity across three platforms mac iOS and let's call it four platforms really mac iPhone iPad and the iCloud for the iWork for iCloud web apps and that they all use the same document format now uh which all sounds pretty cool. There was a pretty good demo. I don't know how true to life it is, uh, you know, on stage of two people editing the same document at the same time. Uh, That, that demo, by the way, (laughs) you know what? That's, it was kind of corny, right? It was, I, that's what I was going. I wonder if
0: Steve would have approved this demo, like Eddie Q, weird glamour photos and that kind of stuff.
1: I don't know know, uh, though. You know, it's hard to say. Maybe.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Because,
1: you know, was, the, Steve was obviously there when they had approved Phil Schiller jumping off a 10-foot ladder while holding an iBook. So.
0: <laughs> That's true, yeah. Maybe he would have loved it. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Um, but the fallout of this is that the way they've achieved document and feature parity across these platforms was not by raising the web app and iOS app document and feature abilities to match those of the Mac, but rather by using I effectively I think the iOS engines of these apps as the baseline for all of them, including the Mac, which means that on the Mac, your users of all three apps are losing a lot of features. Whether everybody used them or not, you know, we can argue about, but obviously some people used everything. And so, Pages and Numbers users it seems like Pages users in particular are up in arms if they were, you know, reliant on a lot of the advanced layout and typography features that used to be available in Pages.
0: I uh, I've never really used Pages, but I use Numbers, you know, every day as uh, the, the all the charts I've ever done for SplatF are in Numbers right. and. Uh, so when I started reading tweets, you know, people saying, oh, my God, they butchered all these apps. I I freaked out because I'd already updated them and I popped open my probably my most complex spreadsheet and charts thing. And it seems like I'm going to be OK. Like some of the features I used, like custom colors and that sort of thing, uh, were, were hidden a little. Um, but it looks like everything that I used in numbers is still there maybe a little harder to find i i haven't gotten too far into the weeds yet but i'd I'd love to hear what horace uh has horace that you has to say because he's also a a numbers guy and he does stuff that you know that i don't even know how to do in numbers so i'd love to hear how he looks at that because it really is people i get an email by far the most popular most common email i get is hey man how do you make your charts and you know, people are maybe expecting a complicated answer. And I just said, no, it's numbers. It's it's so, like shockingly powerful and very simple. And it makes really good looking charts. And uh, it, it seems like the the stuff that I use it for is still possible. And in fact, one of the bugs that was driving me nuts has been fixed. Uh, a lot of people hate pie charts. I kind of hate pie charts too. But they had a weird thing where you could not take out the drop shadow in a pie chart. Just hmm. uh, On text, it was permanently... Like there was, you you could maybe go into the, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how you would do it, but now you can finally get rid of the drop shadow and pie charts, so that makes me happy. But I, I, I should probably just not use pie charts. But uh, so far so good for numbers. I don't know about pages.
1: I sympathize with the users who whose pet feature. Not I don't want to. It seems like almost like I'm put. You know. Um. Um. Minimizing it, whose you know features that they relied upon. If they're gone, I sympathize. I you know it's you know I've been there sometimes in the past with various apps where you know a major update you know takes something away or changes something that you relied upon. Um, but I I do wonder how many times how many times does it have to happen where Apple has a major update to something and takes out a lot. And, you know, before people get it in their heads that before you ever rely on anything from Apple, assume that in the future it might get reduced in functionality to be increased in simplicity, right? If they did it to Final Cut Pro, which was a true pro app, you know, let alone like they did the same thing with iMovie back in 2008, Um, you know, it's happened numerous times over the years, and every time people act like it, it came out of the blue and then people are surprised. I mean, I can see being disappointed and I can see, you know, filing, you know, requests with Apple. These are the features I really hope you bring back first. I mean, that's utterly reasonable. But I think to be surprised by it is a little naive.
0: Yeah. And that although in the case of Final Cut Pro, that was a new app and the old app. You
1: know, still lives on your computer. You would have to manually. Well, don't they still have some people? I I've been so busy working on my write up of this week's event that I still haven't updated my Mac to the iWork apps. But somebody told me that they keep the old ones around. I mean, like they're in like a folder or something. Oh, cool! I didn't know. I didn't know that. I mean, so you know, if you're listening (laughs) to the show and you've been worried about upgrading, double check before you just go and hit update and software update, but. Uh, Or maybe, you know, make your own zip archives of the old ones just in case. But uh, I've been told that they keep them around.
0: Okay. I still have them on my iMac, so I can do
1: that if I need to. But, you know, uh,
0: okay, that's good to know. And, I mean, to answer your your broader question, I guess, you know, it's hard to tell people don't become dependent on Apple's productivity tools because that's the whole point they exist, right, is so that you would depend on them.
1: So, uh,
0: I don't know. It's... It's tricky. Right.
1: And I don't think, uh, I, I think people who are accusing Apple of not being aware, like, I mean, like Apple script and there's one that I, you know, I, I use Apple script way more, you know, certainly more than 99.99% of Mac users. I mean, so I definitely understand the pain. I, I don't happen to have any scripts that drive the iWork apps, but you know, I, I could certainly imagine it. Uh, and I sympathize with that, but I also see exactly how that did not rise to the level of feature that Apple you know, got into these initial event, you know, initial versions of them. I mean, and I think that the thing not to think about or the thing that's wrong is to think that 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 the the managers and even the engineers on the iWork team are somehow like unaware that anybody was using AppleScript or that there would be anybody who'd be disappointed by taking on. I mean, they know it better than anybody, but you have to have priorities. That's really what it comes down to. And you know, and it really matters what's your highest priority. You know, your, your, what the difference between your first priority and your second priority can often have dramatic differences than if they were turned around. And it's clear that Apple's number one priority here was cross platform parity for iPhone, iPad, web and Mac. And all the things that people are complaining about, I think are fallout from that number one priority. And and the thing that I also think they're not getting enough credit for is I don't to my knowledge there's not a single other office suite not Microsoft's not Google's certainly not you know like OpenOffice that can say it's feature compatible document compatible on phone tablet web app and desktop you know and and you probably said this before
0: but this is arguably what defines apple is that they're willing to make that that jump. You know, can you imagine Microsoft stripping out half the
1: features in Word
0: and have right. you know having the having the stones to stick with
1: it? Right. It would be uh, impossible because they've spent so long I mean I I would venture to say the entire life of Microsoft or certainly the entire life that Almost 99.9% people even heard of Microsoft with functionality features being their highest priority, the most features, having the most features, having the most backwards compatible features, you know, where, where each iterative version going forward carries over all of the functionality of the previous versions, additional complexity be damned. I mean, that's, that's been their priority and it would be almost whereas i
0: could see apple saying okay how are the next 500 million iwork users going to going to do this and, right. and the answer is probably across multiple ios devices and maybe fewer macs yeah. and you know and focus on them and, and you know maybe you, you argue all at some point then maybe make a separate you know a third tier <laughs> between iwork and and you know i i don't know but but For- no I, it seems it, yeah, but that's even more complexity. That's dumb. So for
1: years, you know, I think 2010, 2011 in particular, it seemed like was maybe peak fear that Apple was going to abandon the Mac or force a migration from the Mac to iOS. And I feel like in 2012, and especially I think 2013, Apple has really shown that it is committed to the Mac. You know, just everything you know, hardware like the Mac Pro, which is totally new, cutting edge. I think they're continued industry-leading MacBooks. Uh, I've shown that on the hardware side. And, you know, with, with now annual revisions to Mac OS X, or, or I guess as it's renamed now, OS ten, you know, they're committed to it. And I think it's alleviated those fears that they were going to abandon the Mac or just, you know, just force everybody to use iOS. But I do think there's, I mean, nobody can deny it that iOS trumps mac os i mean and ios devices trump Macs for apple they're bigger financially and they have more users and so you
0: sh- and you, they're growing whereas the mac has has in yeah. almost all likelihood peaked forever in right. terms of sales and i wrote and right. you know, i wrote about this i think nine months ago and we'll see again i mean i, I don't think we're going to see mac growth ever again
1: right. but it's totally fair to be disappointed as a mac user in the new iwork apps absolutely absolutely but it's i think it's foolish to be surprised especially since that 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 number one priority achieving plat- parity is for the benefit of the iOS devices for the iPhone and iOS yeah
0: yeah and and again i, I mean I, I don't know exactly what what's not working for some people and i certainly feel for them but so far i've haven't you know, <laughs> in my selfish point of view, everything still works. So, yeah, all good there.
1: We'll see. <laughs> if it works for Dan Fromer. Yep. <laughs> good enough. Ship it. Right. Well, I, that feels like a show. I had a couple other things to talk about, but I feel like, why don't why don't we call it a wrap? What do you think? Okay.
0: Yeah, it works for me.
1: Tell me what they were, yeah. I'll tell you what was on the list, and we'll see if we go in overtime. We go in overtime, maybe. I had two other things. I had... uh the banner ads Google's been starting to tinker with in search of results and uh, the BBM for iPhone and Android. Uh,
0: I, I think the ads thing is interesting because we could also mention the Instagram ads. And the oh, kind of yeah, two, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just,
1: they just showed them for the first time today, right? Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about that a little. Sure. What do you make of the the, the big banner ads that they're tinkering with in search results? Looks like the easiest way to get one is to search for flights, and it's like if you search for Southwest flights, you get a big Southwest ad, and I think Virgin America has one now too. And we're talking about Google, Google, Google search. search.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I don't hate them. Now, p- part of this is uh, is my natural bias. I grew up in a advertising household. My dad owned a very small ad agency. So we would actually have to watch the commercials on TV and not, (laughs) and not leave the room or or hit the mute button or something like that. Uh, I I don't mind them. I think that if, if you're Southwest airlines and people search Southwest airlines, they're looking for you. So own, you know, might as well own that page. Uh, And if it costs you a little bit to add a, a photo of your plane, I'm okay with that. Most of the time, I'm not going to see that page anyway because Google is going to auto-complete or even take you straight to the URL in Chrome. So,
1: you know, and it, I, I think I have a reputation as sort of being knee-jerk anti-Google. And I'll tell you, I'm with you. I, I actually, I actually don't have a problem. I don't think it's a, I, I think it's curious because they sort of, you know, not even sort of explicitly came out and said years ago that they would never have banner ads in search results. Uh, it was a Marissa back in the Marissa Meyer era when she w- was. Uh, in charge but they would of- also
0: never never make a phone either, right? Things right. change, right. and and uh, in my ten list of complaints against internet advertising right now, that's not even close to being on that ten list. You right. know, if anything, what drives me crazy are the pop up ads I'm seeing again. I feel like it's 1998 and there's an <laughs> X10 uh, wireless camera ad popping in my face or something like that. That that bothers me. But Google. If Google can make money from from Spirit Airlines or whatever because they want to put their logo on the search results page for Spirit Airlines that I never see anyway, go for it. Have
1: fun. And isn't to me there's almost a sort of integrity to the fact that if something you type a search query and hit return and results come in and if something is a sponsored result it, it there's almost an integrity to making it look more like an ad. Rather than, you know, some of the games that they've played over the years and they've always, again, you know, I think, I think coming from me, you know, saying that, you know, Google search has always been a product that, and I know that they've played some games with favoring their own products and services over competitors and you can get into competitive arguments about that. But in general, it's, it's, you know, it's one of the great triumphs of the modern world. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's the foundation upon which the entire Google Empire is based and deservedly so. It's one of the most amazing things in the world. And if you could take a time traveler from, you know, any period, twenty five years ago, fifty years ago, a hundred years ago, Google search is one of the things you would show them about the modern world. That you do this thing and you type on this keyboard and you get, you know, you can ask anything and get answers. It's amazing. Uh, I think that some of the things they've done in the past to show indicate that a result is sponsored, have been subtle enough that you could argue that that lacks integrity. But just putting a gentle shading, you know, a yellow or a pink or something like that, and a small gray, light gray type that says sponsored post or sponsored result Mm -hmm. very, very quietly, is almost worse than making a big graphical banner ad. Because there it says, you know, those things look like ads. It's like, hey, that's an ad. And it's one ad, and it's not gratuitous. And hopefully it is, like you said, it's what you were looking for. So I, I kind of feel like it's not worth criticism. It's it's an interesting direction, though.
0: Right. And, you know, and, and it's easy to say, aha, you're doing the thing you said you'd never do. But that happens all the time. Companies change. They have to. And... I guess that the thing for me that's most important is that integrity if it's the if it's the advertiser I'm expecting go for it whatever right. if it's if it's deep deep discount air, air search dot net you know buying up the Southwest Airlines page and tricking me into clicking and going somewhere else maybe that's a bigger problem but it seems that they're not doing that and it's at also least not at
1: this stage it's also worth putting into context what no banner ads meant let's say in 2005 because 2005 eight years ago that's a long time and google was still a very young company i don't forget when their ipo was uh but it wasn't that long before that and you know even pre-ipo it it, the 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 pre-google world was still in recent memory and pre-google what did banner ads on search engines mean well it was like those remember the punch the monkey Oh yeah, I mean it was tree loot. Right, it was garbage. All that stuff. Uh, it was real garbage. And whereas you know this is not. I don't. I don't feel like this is a devaluation of of Google search. I do think it's an interesting angle to wonder what's driving them to do this. Though is it just a, is it a pursuit of more profit, or is it the fact that that desktop search is either stagnant or in decline? And they need to get more out of each search to maintain the, the, the levels that they've had before. That's an interesting question to me is what does this mean? You know, what's driving them to do this?
0: Yes. And is it also the need to make more money off of desktop users because mobile users aren't making as much money?
1: Per search. Uh, uh, but, yet, right. yet, but yet more and more searches are going mobile. And I can't help going
0: through tools like Siri, which don't even kind of start from the Google homepage. Right? Maybe not Siri because, you know, who uses a Siri, but stuff like that where search is a feature in an app and not a destination necessarily. Right. Uh, And I think it dovetails, interestingly, with the new Instagram ads, which they just showed off this week. And I believe TechCrunch had... Kind of a gallery of them. And again, I don't hate them. I mean, I follow a bunch of companies already on Instagram. I think they're some of the best people I follow. Uh, to me, a, a, a nice photo of camping or something from an outdoor gear brand is actually often nicer to look at than someone's kids. So right, or the t- I, I follow a bunch of brands already. And if they, as long as the ads kind of follow the Theory of Instagram, which is that it's people shooting pictures with their phones and not stupid stock photos and pre-produced junky ads, then I think that's great. You know, I, I'm very happy for the service that I spend a lot of time using to make money somehow. And if and if they can get brands like there was a GE one that had a cool picture of an airplane engine, like if they can get GE posting that and get paid for that, that sounds great. As long as it's not some garbage, you know, some, almost these are like better than a lot of TV ads, which is still where all the money is. But, you know, you watch TV ads and you're like, these are insultingly stupid. But if Instagram can get money for an elegant ad, you know, if, if there's a fashion show and, and the, some guy that who works for that company has their iPhone and they're shooting photos and they want me to see it and they want to pay Instagram to promote that into my feed
1: and it looks good. Yeah. That sounds okay. Even, it's very rare that you're watching TV and the commercial is better than what it is the show that you're watching. Sometimes you see a great commercial and it is it elevates you know the art. It's it's you know a little thirty second dose of cinema and it's it you actually enjoy it. But it's rare. Whereas you know I feel like you said you know these Instagram ads seem like they're they're actual instances of what it is that Instagram is a cool photo. My only concern with them, my one and only concern, is that the examples I've seen so far, it seems like they allow way too much text under the image. I feel like you should the, the rules should be tightened up, and they should really just be a very tight amount of text, and you know, some kind. Give them a URL. Repeat, you can learn more. Which
0: you can 't do right now, and that's an interesting thing. I wonder if they will allow advertisers
1: right. to be the first ones
0: to put clickable URLs yeah. in their text because right now there's no way like if you look right. at some some brands like do contests on Instagram and they're like, "Go to our profile and click our profile URL yeah. to, to do that and that's awkward you know I, yeah. as a person who has a you know a company who I would possibly buy Instagram ads someday, I'd much rather be able to put a URL in. I understand uh, why not. they don't
1: allow clickable URLs because it would kind of, it it would allow people to do spam or something, you know, and, and yes. people posting. But I could see them doing it and only, I, I, it would be reasonable for me. I would see it as reasonable if only advertisers got to put clickable, you tappable URLs, I should say, uh, yeah. in their thing. But then to reduce the text because the the cool pictures fit right into your Instagram feed. The big chunks of text... Don't. It's the text that sticks out as you scroll, rather than the the images.
0: Yeah, NPR has been doing this thing where they're doing some contest or something, and they have like four paragraphs of text. And I think I unfollowed them for yeah. it. Uh, it the New Yorker, living,
1: the New Yorker has a cool Instagram feed, and they they hire different photographers to take over it for like a week at a time and you know sometimes they'll go to an event or they're you know they're they're working alongside a reporter doing a story somewhere um and they i don't know why but that and it just seems so completely un-new yorkery but they often put like 20 or 30 hashtags and it just makes it look It just looks awful. But they're great photographers. They are seriously, like, world-class photographers. And, you know, when they're shooting with the – when they're posting with pictures taken from the iPhone, I'm like, I, you know, I've really got to up my game because I cannot blame the tool. This guy – look at the great photos. But the big chunks of ugly hashtags really do always make my finger hover over unfollow.
0: I've never understood that. I think that has to come from some app because someone really manually going in and and tapping in like InstaGood, InstaMorning, yeah. like all these just ridiculous dumb hashtags every time. I don't I know. I think that I think it might come from some app, but I don't know. Uh, I agree. And if you look at a lot of the ad samples again in that TechCrunch article, there are a lot of hashtags, and
1: I don't. Uh, I don't get it, and I never tap hashtags and i guess that's something because you can tap a hashtag and it puts something tappable in the ad but i would if there was an option in instagram to just strip hashtags out i would do it because i never tap them and it would only clean up my my stream
0: Uh, you know i use them kind of jokingly sometimes yeah that's different spamming other people's comments but uh, what 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 kind of bums me out is that instagram like i respect their desire to keep the product as simple as possible. Like, you know, that's, that's how I hope to develop my app too. But there are some things that are missing still that kind of bug me, like the, the inability to search, uh, for pictures of a location. Um, you know, seeing, uh, the, the location field in, in someone's Instagram and then tapping that location, like a national park or a store or something. There's often really, really great collections of photos in there, but there's no way to, kind of seek those out. You can't right. search. You, you have to find usernames. one. usernames. Yeah. Hmm. And like one of my friends was in uh, Portofino, Italy once and posted some picture from the beach. And if you tap that that location, it's all like Russians on yachts in, <laughs> in bikinis. It's <laughs> yeah. really funny. It's like, but there's no way to go back to that. You got to right. go. <laughs> and stuff like that. And another one is uh, you can't log in on multiple accounts, uh, which for most people is not a problem. And I totally respect the, the, the b- designing a product around most of your users, but especially as they're trying to cater to brands, I have a friend who runs three restaurants and a magazine and she still has to manually log in and log out and type in the password every time she wants to post something from one of those different
1: accounts. Sounds and like, sounds Twitter, like so- somebody needs a day phone and a night phone.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know, but uh, so I, I I I love the simplicity of Instagram. I maybe don't use it as much as I used to for some stuff. Uh, it really bugs me that they that they don't post the pictures to the Twitter stream anymore, especially as Twitter starts testing things like putting the pictures in line. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I I still use the official Twitter app, and I was in a UI test group a few weeks ago where every picture showed up in line in my stream and I really liked it. Like, and I think that's kind of what they're going to switch to at some point, but yeah, uh, it it does bum me out that Instagram's not, not in the stream
1: anymore, but maybe
0: they'll, maybe now with ads, they'll, they'll do it again. I don't know. But
1: I think bottom line is that this, I, this concept for ads in Instagram to me is if not identical, it is nearly so to what Instagram would have done eventually if they had remained wholly independent, you know, because, if, you know, if they had remained independent, eventually they had to have some kind of revenue. I think this would have been it. So I don't think it is, it, it to me, uh, allays some of the fears that I've had, at least and a lot of others from when Facebook bought them, that they were going to get a lot more Facebooky and, you know, go that route, route, route for revenue and i to me this is i wouldn't be surprised if this has been in the plans since before they were acquired i mean it doesn't seem you know it, it really doesn't seem even to date it really doesn't seem like instagram has changed in any way even now with this proposed advertising um in a facebookian fashion to put it, it any they other.
0: almost feel more still like at like they belong with Twitter more than with Facebook, Oh, but maybe
1: that's good for Facebook. Yeah. And I think it's exactly why they bought them. And I think, yeah. you know, I, I think the bottom line of why did they buy Instagram was that the Zuckerberg regretted. And there were those, you know, a couple of stories in the last couple of weeks, like Nick Bilton's excerpt from his book and, uh, the great New Yorker profile of, of Jack Dorsey. Um, You know, I don't even think it was a surprise, though, but more more details than were known before that, you know, that Zuckerberg did seriously consider buying Twitter years ago didn't work out and it only got bigger. And I feel like, you know, I feel like it made him all the more determined when he, you know, saw that Instagram was was very Twitter like uh, to not let that pass. Yeah, I do think so. Absolutely think that Instagram remains a lot more like Twitter than 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 it is like Facebook.
0: And I you know I would say it's I, I'm still impressed with how many people are posting to it. Like I don't know if the people who posted a lot in the early days that I followed are are posting as much but you know every time I fire up Instagram and I don't even follow that many people especially on the weekends there's new stuff to look at and it's I, still
1: mostly pretty good. I'm always surprised by how many people I see out in the real world Instagramming. And oh yeah. like sporting events uh you know like over the summer when I went to some baseball games and uh went to disney world and stuff like that and and i you, you know it's such a distinctive ui you know and the, the blue and the big camera button at the bottom where it's you know you don't have to be like a eavesdropper you could just you know just eyeball somebody's screen and you you know it, it there when you're taking the photo you're holding it out in front it's really easy to see you know but i could see people i still do i see it all the time people taking pictures with their phone who are clearly taking it in instagram It's got real, you know, it's definitely got real normal person traction.
0: And has completely ruined all uh, expectations from
1: VCs for how
0: (laughs) how an app should grow. But that's a different topic.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty pretty amazing. Uh, Cool. All right. Good show. Dan Fromer. Give them a URL. Where we, uh, send them to, where, should we send them to City Notes? Send them to our
0: brand new, very proud uh, Twitter account, which is City Notes. We finally got it. After, oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So just go to Twitter oh,
1: yeah. twitter.com slash City Notes. City oh. Notes.
0: Follow us there. We got some cool new stuff coming uh, later this year, and which we're very excited about. And you can kind of
1: follow us there and... Get it when it's new. Did you hear me typing right there on my loud clicky-clack keyboard? That's me going there. Here I am right now clicking follow. Boom. Followed right now.
0: Yeah, it's it's a very low-volume stream uh, for now. I mean, it's never going to be very high-volume, but uh, good stuff coming. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thank Great show. Thank you. Time.